pray. Father, you are worthy and you are holy. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of music and which comes in so many shapes and forms which moves us to you and we give you praise. And so, Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to look at your living word from heaven, which is our food, which enables us to live, Lord. And we affirm that physical food can never give us, Lord, what spiritual food can. And that is life and energy, enthusiasm, passion, Lord, and, and reality. And so we ask you this morning to speak and impart to us again, I think of as we can end with communion and the anointing of oil, that uh, you would impart to us this morning, Lord, your spirit, your heart, your life, and we would walk out of here different for tomorrow and the next day, and the week, and the rest of our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go with me to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to begin with a little uh, inventory of, uh, I'm going to call it emotionally healthy servanthood. We're on the third part uh, of a, a series on servanthood, the path to greatness, and next week, next week I will complete it, and we're going to culminate with what's called a ministry fair. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to as a part of that sermon, we're going to go downstairs and have a, a huge ministry fair for the first time we've ever done that at New Life, and you'll see it'll be a great application of all that we've done here at the church. So, let's begin, okay, with a little inventory. Now, you're not going to be able to follow me. I'm going to go too fast, so it will be on the internet if you want to download it and, and look at it. I'm going to give you 13 questions. I want you to answer yes or no, all right? And so, you need pen and, get a pen and paper out, maybe, just so you can... Quote, how many yeses and how many noes, then you're going to grade yourself on where you are, all right? On the emotionally healthy servanthood. We can't just have servanthood at New Life Fellowship, right? It's got to be emotionally healthy. So, number one, I have a deep sense that my life, that is my time, energy, resources, and talents, is a gift to be given to serve others like Jesus, all right? I have a deep sense that my life, time, energy, resources, talents, is a gift to be given to serve others like Jesus. Just, yes or no, just write a piece of paper, yes or no. All right, number two, I have a good sense of my limits as a servant and when it is time to rest. All right, number three, other people, oh, I'm at four, right? number three, other people would describe me as a person able to be present in the moment, not preoccupied or harried or distracted, that you're able to pause, be present with someone, just like Jesus was, if you think of the widow at Nain, and was present with her and healed her son. Number four, I often take initiative to serve when there is a need rather than wait to be asked. Okay, yes or no. Number five, because I have a healthy sense of who I am, I can serve others without need for their gratitude. All right. All right, number six, it is easy for me to distinguish the difference between when, it is, when to help carry someone else's burden and when to let it go so they can carry their own burden. All right, number seven. I often pray for people outside my family and close friends. Serving them, all right? Number eight. Like Jesus, I am involved serving people from different backgrounds, cultures, races, ages, age groups, and educational and economic classes? Yes or no? I know it'd be better to have a scale of one to four, but hey, it's Sunday morning, okay? Number nine, I understand that serving others means not always doing or saying what they want. That is, as Jesus serves us, he does not do what we want all the time. Okay, we'll get into that later in the message. 
I have the, I have the backbone to say no to certain things, all right? All right, number 10. I don't feel superior where, no, when, where I see certain things or tasks as below me. There's no task or activity that would be below my station in life. Number 11, I don't see myself neither as inferior to others with nothing to give. Some of us are on that end of the spectrum. Number 12, when I serve people, I have a deep sense I am serving the Lord Jesus, not just people. And finally, number 13, I am open to God's interruptions in my life in order to help another person. You know how God interrupts life? You look at the Gospels, Jesus was interrupted. So I'm open to God's interruptions in my life in order to help another person. So, okay, count up how many yeses and no's. Somebody didn't do it, didn't write. I caught you, I'm watching, all right? Okay, do a self-evaluation. If you're less than four yeses, you are a high chair tyrant. I will talk about that in a few minutes, okay? You are suffering from what I call infantile grandiosity. All right, that's number less than four. If you're between five and seven yeses, we'll call you an occasional childish servant. I didn't know what else to call you. If you're between eight and 10 yeses, you're an immature but growing servant. If you've got more than 10 yeses, you're a good, emotionally healthy, biblical servant, okay? So God bless you, all right? So, okay, thank you. All right, now, let's go to our passage here in Matthew 10. And again, you can download, download that off the internet. And um, uh, as I was finishing it up this morning, I realized this is definitely worth probably getting a few of you to edit for. We could probably make that quite a good inventory if a few of us worked on it and added and deleted some things. All right, number, uh, Mark 10. We're gonna, this is really the, the, the passage we read last week and uh, I'd like to finish it this week, where, beginning in verse 41, when James and John, if you remember, they come to Jesus and said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever, whatever we want. And Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And they said, we want to be at your right hand and left hand in glory. We want the best seats in the kingdom. We want to be great. We want power over people. Uh, and Jesus says, well, okay, well, you can be great, but the way you're going to get there is through suffering. And you're going to drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And uh, in their arrogance, they say, yeah, we can do it, you know. And then, bam, a fight breaks out in verse 41, and the 12 are arguing with them, within themselves. And, um, and, about who, and they're unhappy with James and John. So let's pick it up right here. Verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, that is, James and John asking for the best seats, they became indignant or angry with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Underline that phrase, very important. Not so with you. Instead, you who belong in my kingdom, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Now, we began a few weeks ago by talking about that God, by his very nature, is eternally a servant. And we see that in, 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 the, in the person of Jesus. As God came among us, he's washing feet, he's making breast, breakfast. He is eternally who he is as a servant. That's why we talk a lot about, you know, in John 13, we saw him with a towel and a, a basin of water. Today, we'd say it, we have our plungers, and we have our scouring brushes. And what marks believers, followers of Jesus, that these, in a sense, we see ourselves as carrying around, which this is what represents the 
kind of the most menial activity would be cleaning toilets. That disciples of Jesus, as our master and Lord is marked by a towel and a basin of water to wash feet, we are folks, we see ourselves as walking around with our plungers and our scouring brushes. Okay, that's kind of a, an image to keep in your mind, all right? And so Jesus tried to transmit or impart this, this vision, this life of servitude to the, to the 12. But they, they had a very difficult time getting it just like us. And uh, he wanted them to understand the way up is down. Greatness is servanthood. It's the opposite of the world. And, and that your destiny and my destiny, we have a heroic journey that God's called us on. God has given you power. You'll notice the message is about power today. You have been given power, Genesis 1.28, from God to take dominion. The question is, what do you do with your God-given power? And he's saying in the kingdom, we don't use it over people, we use it under people. It's very different from the world. And, uh, and this is a journey we're on, that God is about making you a servant. Now, you may not want to be a servant, but if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have to understand it. God's out to make you a servant. He created you to be a servant. To use your power to bless and serve people. And out of that, you will be blessed. There is a great miracle that takes place. There is a great multiplication that takes place. And life flows out of you. And uh, we actually mature through serving. In fact, there is no other way to grow into maturity except by serving. You can't get around it and skip it. It is through serving we mature into the men and women God's called us to be. And so it's your destiny to be a servant of the living God and a servant of people in an appropriate biblical way for the glory of God. And the great promise is, as you give, Proverbs 11, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. As you serve and give of your life, you gain even more. But another, if you hold on to your life, you withhold it, you come to poverty. It's a great biblical teaching. As you give, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's service, whether it's your gifts, as you have a life of giving, God says, you gain even more. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And God's saying is, don't be afraid to serve. You will not be worn down and die. As you refresh others with your life, rather than being self-centered, you will be refreshed. You will be blessed. You will get much more than you ever gave as you give when you do it properly. So... Um, in this context, but in this context, these, 10, these 12 disciples are fighting here. This flows out of people who have what I'm going to call a solid sense of self, a solid sense of who I am as I serve. Otherwise, I lose myself in an unhealthy way, and it's a big mess. Now, you'll notice in verse 41, as the 10 are fighting with James and John, and this battle breaks out. Um, their, 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 their ego strength, their sense of who they are, the other ten disciples, they're upset like, hey, James and John are getting something we don't have because their identity is so wrapped up in positions and what people think and, and the ranking. They, their, their sense of self is so weak that it causes them not to want to be servants and it causes this fighting and quarreling to break out. They're preoccupied with their own dignity because they don't have a deep sense of their dignity. And they're saying, how can James and John get one up on us? And they start fighting about it. So I want you to repeat this phrase with me, okay, as we go on here. The way of the world is power over. And we're going to say, as Jesus is going to say, is the way of Christ is power under. So you ready for that? I want you to say this. Not power over, but power under. So I want you to remember this phrase by God's grace for the rest of your life. 
and as I apply it here very directly these next two weeks, okay? It's, it's not power over, but power under. Okay, ready? Repeat it with me, ready? Not power over, but power under. One more time, ready? It's not power over, but power under. Now, you see, you have a sense of power. I don't feel power. No, you have power. God created you in his image. He's given you time, talents, gifts, resources. You are precious. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. In fact, God says, my thoughts for you are like the sand on the seashore. That's how much I think of you. That's how valuable you are. So even if you feel like a piece of trash with nothing to give, understand this, you have power. You may have given it away. You may have thrown it away. You may have flushed it down the toilet. But you have great power as a living human being. And God says, the question is, what are you going to do with that power? Is it power over or is it power under? And the heart of God is that you use your power under people. Now, the Gentiles, as Jesus brings out here in, in verse uh, 42 and 43, they use, the world uses power over people, and we see it all the time. It's, um, it's things such as, you know, a pecking order. If they, you know, sociologists have studied that all human societies in all of history are very similar. No matter what culture or race or what time in history, there's a pecking order, just like chickens. Out of a, you know, if you put a bunch of chickens uh, to, in a chicken pen, there's no peace until it's clear who's on, which chicken is kind of ruling, and they, they form a pecking order. That's where that phrase comes from. And uh, in the same way, every human society, when people get together, there's immediately a pecking order. Who's on top and who's on bottom? And uh, who stands back when someone steps forward? Who speaks first and defers to that person? Um, when two people are talking at the same time, who shuts up and who, who speaks? But Jesus basically obliterates this pecking order and reverses it completely. And uh, these 12 disciples, just they don't appreciate it. It's very, they, 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 they can't get this, this pecking order reversal. Because the world, it's so deep in us, friends, it is so deep how we rank people. And how we rank ourselves with other people. As most folks say, I don't mind, I don't have to be first, I just don't want to be last. I just want to be somewhere in the middle. And again, we have extreme examples like in India with the caste system. We've got some Indians here. And I mean, a clear, incredible ranking. So thousands of years stratified into the culture where you can't marry across ranks. One of my neighbors from China was telling me how, you know, in mainland China, to get into the university is extremely difficult. Like 0.001% get into the university. That's why when you're in junior high and high school, you are studying like a maniac because your whole future is determined by that test. Taiwan, the same thing. And I said, well, how do you feel about people who, if so few get into the university, and he did, him and his wife. I said, how do you feel about the, about towards these other people who never got in? And he goes, I sim we simply see them as inferior. They're just inferior. They didn't get in. And their whole lives are basically programmed at that point. They'll work in a factory and textile, something like that, but they're done. And he said it without blinking an eye. And I think even for us, too, in America, with, you know, who, who's the pecking order, whether it's the richest people or the smartest people or the folks with um, the most beautiful people? folks with the most athletic ability, the most degrees. Because we don't know who we are, we don't have a deep sense of who we are in, in Christ, we end up setting some standard to judge other people. Because we're so insecure ourselves and feeling inferior that I've got to figure out how I can rank myself with other people and feel good about myself. And that's why we've got things like people separate by social class. You know, rich people don't want to mix with poor people, nor poor with middle class or rich people. By genders, the men over here and the women over here. Or by age, you know, looking down at elderly people. Or folks who are elderly looking down at young people, and, and we kind of stratify by ages. 
and how we rank folks, or of course, race, based on how dark your skin is, or how light your skin is, or your facial features, or um, your, whether you have a disability or not. Those who have disabilities know how deep that ranking system is. When you're on the bottom, you feel it very deeply. Or sexual orientation even, or your belief system, or how beautiful you are. And it's so deep. We, the way of the world, we are pummeled with it day and night. It's power over. And uh, most of us, as a result, like the disciples here in this text, we are fixed at an immature state of development. Because the world has so gotten into us that we ourselves have never grown up and matured with a sense of a solid self that we have the maturity to not go the way of the world and say, instead of me having to have power over people to feel good about myself, I'm going to use my power and go under people. It takes a tremendous sense of maturity. Now, let me show you a chart, and hopefully we'll see if this has worked. All right. You see that little kid there? That's that little kid as an adult. How many of you have read the book Lord Fauntleroyan? Little Lord Fauntleroyan, grammar school or high school? It's the opposite. of It's the high chair tyrant. And uh, this is how some of us actually live our lives, even though we're in our 50s and 60s and 70s. Kind of like sitting in a high chair, banging our spoon on the tray, screaming, Mom, kiss me, feed me. Attend to me. I'm the center of the universe. Others exist to meet my needs and desires. And when food comes and it doesn't meet my specifications, I throw it on the floor. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too sweet. It's too sour. And when mom finally shows up to hug me and kiss me as I'm in my little tantrum, I reject her because she came too late. And my demands are limitless. I'm arrogant and childish and irresponsible. And somehow... This high chair tyrant has got to learn that he is not the center of the universe. And uh, the whole universe does not exist to meet his every need. So that's one extreme on this side, all right? The high chair tyrant. Now, there's another extreme over here, which I don't have a picture for, but I want to show you the chart. Here's the high chair tyrant. That's how one set of people, I would say, live in our society. It's, I'll tell you one thing, it crosses age. It's not just your seven-year-old who lives like this or four-year-old. One can actually be fixed at this level of development your entire life, where the whole world exists to serve me. That's the screen out of which I see life. Now, the other end, over here, we're going to call the weakling prince or weakling princess. And that is just a state of depressed passivity. That's the other extreme. And that is where, you know what? It's like I have no enthusiasm for life. I, I just, um, I, I take very little initiative. I'm just surviving. I need to be coddled. In fact, I need people to take care of me because I am depressed. And, and I'm basically whining and complaining. And, and the, the world exists for my comfort because I'm, I'm just not doing well here. And I'm overwhelmed by life. And I can't take any initiative to take care of anybody because I'm, I'm, even though I'm a prince or a princess with power, I function like I have none. And I'm a passive and depressed. And, and uh, I, I, I think some of us, or some of us, we, we move from here, and then we go over to here. Then we jump over to here. Then we come over to here. And we go back and forth. Uh, and then we become Christians, maybe, and, and, and we kind of, you know, we're trying to sort of, okay, this servanthood thing, and it's so different of how we've lived our whole lives that we're, we're trying to figure it out. And so we don't do it real well. And so we become either, I'll call them over-functioners, where we're trying to save everybody, and then we hate them after a while, you know, and then we, or, or we under-function. We don't. You know, we, don't, we do a little bit, but we really don't take our place in a healthy way as servant in the, in the body. And, and uh, you know, an underfunction will be someone who is, you know, fra I'm always fragile. I'm always the sick one. I'm always, I'm, I can't seem to get my life organized. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. 
And so I really can't be a servant like everybody else because I, I just, I can't. I'm, I'm too much of a mess. And, and I live there. Not that I'm not there at times. And overfunctioning is I'll fix everybody. I'll take care of everyone. I'll always advise and rescue. And so that's power over. Now, somehow, in the middle of this, we'll talk about this in a second, there is emotional health, there's biblical servanthood, which, which is neither of these extremes. In fact, I could actually have added to this in feeling inferior. Some of us feel very inferior. That I have nothing to give anybody. Others of us feel superior. We, we won't pick up the brush because we're too good for that. And we've been stepped on enough our whole life, and no one's going to step on me anymore. And so we don't pick this up either. So we're, we, we suffer from superiority. So I think we should actually add those two in there as two other extremes. All right. So what does that look like? Very simply. Power over. Like, let's go to this. And uh, as, as it works out, say you're parents, and I've done this. And as you're, as, you know, parents are hopefully servants of their kids. But, you know, you get to a while, you say, you know what, the kids, you know what? The reason you're going to do this is because I'm bigger than you and I'm telling you to do it. That's power over. It gets it done quick, but it's not power under, which is, which is what proper parental discipline looks like. You know, it's a boss who's letting go of an employee and who basically walks in and says, you're fired because you didn't do your job. Versus a boss who comes in and may let somebody go, but with a whole different heart of compassion, power under. It's a professor or a teacher who, as you know, if you're, whether it's high school or university, you're teaching, you can annihilate a student with your knowledge. You've, you've spent your life in this field, and you can use your power. Have you ever been annihilated by a teacher? I have. It's very intimidating because they've spent their whole life in this field, and they just use their power, and they have just crushed you. And, um, or have you seen someone use their grades, friends, and say, yeah, I got an A about you. You know, what's your SAT scores? You know, and what, how would you graduate from? And they use their, their degrees and their grades as power over you. Or maybe tongue, and some of you are not as quick with your words as others. And power over is when you know with your spouse or with your good friend, you, you are quicker on your feet. And, and you got them. You know that when you get in this verbal argument, you can cut them up and mince them out. By the time they've thought it through, it's over and you've won. And it's using the gift that God gave you of ability to, to think and to communicate, and you become, becomes power over. Or as a pastor, you know, or as a leader, or as someone who maybe you know the scriptures quite well, you know, you can use the knowledge of God as power over people. When someone asks you a question, say, oh, really, you think that? And you then quote 12 verses to them. And you use your power over to make it clear where they sit and where you sit. Because you've been around a lot longer than they've been. Or how about this? You got, you know, you've got that's some money and, and, and um, uh, you know, your car that you buy, your house, or your possessions, or what you make, and, and what you've got, for you, that's power. And they're discussing some buying, you know, maybe doing something, and, and you're sitting there saying, you know what, I can just write, write a check and make that happen tomorrow. And you've kind of got this feeling of power. Then you have a car. You see the car I drive, you know, and this feeling of power over with the wealth that I've accumulated or the education I've received. I can go on and on, you know. How about this? How about this power? If you don't, this, this is the, the whining prince, you know. If you don't do what I say, I'm asking you to do something. Ken, you don't want to do it? You'll pay. That's power over. I won't talk to you anymore. I'm going to pout. I'm going to complain. But it's, yeah, it's using my power over now because you didn't do what I asked you to do. Or in sex and marriage, it happens all the time. Sex becomes a power tool. It's about power. And um, if the slightest remark, you hurt me, and I get depleted, depleted, I will go into either a rage or a depression. But I will exercise my power somehow to make you feel it. 
that what you did hurt me. How about this one? We do it all the time with folks who don't know Christ. You say to your, your coworker, hey, do you know you're going to hell? <laughs> you're going to hell, man. You are going to hell. I mean, that's power over. You realize that? It's, a very, it's the way of the world. So you've taken Christ now, and you basically squeezed him into the world's model. That's the way the world functions. Because we don't have a great sense of who we are, so we've got to adopt the world's means of finding identity. And we're fixed at this immature state of development, and we never quite mature and grow up in, in Christ. So what we're really, we're cover, when we use power, and you're using power over, or whenever someone's using power over you, you know they feel inferior. You know it's, it's covering over, it's masking a feeling of vulnerability, inferiority. Because when you've got a strong sense of self that's solidly rooted in God and who you are, you don't need to have power over people. It doesn't matter. You can pick up the plunger and serve them, even though they may think you're an idiot because you know you're not. And you use your power and you come under. All right, now, that said, let's go to power under for a minute. Okay, let's talk about this. Because Jesus says in verse 42, look at this, verse he says, verse 43, not so with you. You got to hear this. Not so with you. Not power over, but power under. Can you say it with me again? Not power over, but power under. One more time, ready? Not power over, but power under. Again, you have power. We're not doormats, but it's power under, not power over, because I have a sense of who I am. And Jesus says, whoever wants to become great, good request, he must be your servant. Verse 43, what that means is the word for waiting on tables, menial tasks. Um, it's the word for household slave, household servant, that my life exists to, as a gift to somebody else. And the, and the ministry of small things, Jesus says, is the big things in the kingdom of God. Now, he gives the example in verse 44 of himself. And he refers to himself as the son of man. He says in verse 44, listen, guys, I know you don't get it, but will you look at me for a second? The son of man, verse 45, did not come to be served. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And to pull rank and have power over, it was Jesus. If he, he could have smashed these 12. I mean, honestly, I don't know how he didn't smash them, annihilate them, and start all over again. But whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He refers to himself as son of man. It's a term from Daniel chapter 7. It's a very important term. And, and, I, and I, again, I just met, when I meditate on this, as I did this past week, I, it's so overwhelming that Jesus did this. I don't, I don't know if our human frame can even comprehend it. That this is Jesus, okay? He's referring to himself as the son of man. This is Daniel. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days. Now, the ancient of days, we sing that song, in Daniel 7, previous to that, is this incredible vision of God Almighty on the throne with, with countless, innumerable angels attending to him as he exercises authority over the entire universe. But now, one like the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominions, an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus says, that's who I am. And I've come here to serve and to wash feet and not have power over, but have power under. And you realize, I'm washing your feet. I'm cooking you breakfast. And what it means to be one of my followers is that you too use your power, not over people, but under people. It's an incredible, incredible passage. So whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, whether it's the workplace, whether it's church, your life is one of your following Jesus is a gift to serve and lift people up. You use your power under in a healthy way. So... Let's talk about what does that look like. Let's get down and dirty here. 
Let's talk about the home and the family. Now, I come, as you all know, from an Italian-American home where gender roles are very clear. Men on top, women on bottom. Women cook, clean, laundry, dishes. Men, we work, give money, and have a life. You know, we do our thing, whatever we want to do. So we carry in, 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 in sexism language the invisible knapsack of privilege. And I, you know, I preached on, you know, I preached Ephesians 5. Husbands, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I love that verse. And I, I used to quote it all the time when things got out of line, our early years of our marriage. And to me, not that there aren't gender roles, but the power, it was, it was non-negotiable for me for many years. It just, we weren't negotiating how we did our gender roles in our home for Jerry and I. So you know what? Cooking, you know, laundry, cleaning, we just don't, it, you do that. That's it. Okay, you're responsible primarily for raising the kids and all that, and, and I will help as the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs> and um, basically, I never would have said this, but it's what I, in my deep of deep hearts, how I felt that basically you are living as a helper to my life. Your service, you're serving me my whole life, basically. That's help me. That was my crazy thing. So, um, I, I didn't treat her as an equal that she had as an equal person to negotiate how we do our lives, whether it's co-parenting. I'll never forget the first time Jerry said to me, you're doing your own laundry. I said, what? <laughs> she, was, she was, or you're cooking two nights a week. You know, I said, no, I, in my family, no one's ever cooked for generations. We, we don't cook, <laughs> you know. And, but do you understand that, that you can know the Bible, which says, you know, husbands, you know, Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As husbands, the longer passage is about husbands not using their power over their wives, but come unto your wife and die for her. I didn't read that real well. And, and, and the rest of Ephesians 5 is really about husbands using their power to come unto their wives. But I, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. But it's very hard when you're in power to give it away. Very difficult. And uh, you women are a lot of nods out here, a lot of nods. But to do co-parenting and co-equals and being able to negotiate power was an incredible revolution for me. And, but that's power under, for us as men with traditional roles, to be able to be open and negotiated. Uh, I'll ask you, if you're married here today, what does it look like for you to be a servant of your spouse? What does that even mean? Try asking them. You may have some interesting answers. Or raising your kids. It's very easy to be a parent, and you give your life to your kids, and you know what? We, we communicate a message to them. We never say to them, now you owe me back. You owe me the rest of my life. You better go to a good college. You better get a great job. You better make good money. When I get old, you better take care of me, too. And you better not get in any trouble, because, see, we haven't really served our kids. We really see them as serving us. It's very different. Well, I always say to my kids, I have to learn, I, my kids owe me respect and cooperation. That's it. They don't owe me becoming a Christian. You don't have to become a Christian. That's your choice between you and God. I pray you do. Respect and cooperation, yes. The rest of it, hey. But power over kids, even as they get older, is very heavy. How about chores around the house? I hate doing I hate Saturdays. We clean. I hate it. I realize I am the high chair tyrant. I realize I, I, I relate to that baby in a high chair saying, I don't want to, I don't want to do chores. I don't have a gift of doing chores. I, I hate them. Like, mopping. I mean, and I'm a very reluctant servant because I have my power. I don't want to use it under. It's, it's not my nature. Well, how about, you know, uh, for singles here in premarital sex, I mean, emotionally and physically, your body's crying out for it. And you just, you, you've got, in a sense, you know you have an opportunity here to go for it. 
And you've got to make a choice of power over to exploit and use this person because you, you have a short-term need to be met. Afterwards, you know you'll regret it, but you can't see straight right now. And it's power under is saying, I will wait and not use this person, although emotionally and physically I am struggling here. Or, you know, when you're working for a business or some of you work for the city, and you know how maybe the, the company or the business is treading water and struggling, and all you're looking for in your, in your place of work is how can I go up or how can I get out? How can I use this company to further my needs? That's how most people do their jobs, isn't it? It's very different than doing your work as a servant. That I'm a servant of this company to serve them and help make it a better place when nobody else is doing it around you. That's using your power to come under. I love my, my friend's mission statement at Michigan. He's got a large company, Ridgeway Industries, and, and he sees himself as a servant of his employees to help provide gainful employment for families. And to, he actually makes quite a bit of money, and to earn a great deal of money to serve Christ and the advancement of his kingdom around the world. But he's very much got a mentality as a CEO. He is a servant of those employees, and they make car parts to serve making car parts, quality car parts, but in order to make the world a better place. I think it's quite beautiful. I keep myself going to the car. I, there's one auto shop. I go in only when I have to bring it in for inspection. Every time I go bring it in for inspection, I know they're going to find something wrong with the car. Water cooler's gone. They create a problem because they've got to make a business. They are not serving me. They're looking to make a buck. And they know they got my car there, and they created a problem, and they know I'm stuck because they will not pass inspection until they solve the problem. But you know what I'm talking about? It's power over. They got some power. They got my car, and they got the wheels off, and I'm stuck. <laughs> How about just talking about time for a minute? I mean, time is the greatest commodity in our culture. I mean, I can give you money, but giving time is a lot more difficult. And... You know, there's this monastic order in Great Britain, and they take a vow of availability. Could you imagine being available? Making time to put people's needs before your own. I mean, most of us are too exhausted because we're so swamped to give anything away, you know? And again, people are interruptions because we're driven, we're wasted, we're working 80 hours a week. Who's got any energy to be sensitive and compassionate to serve anybody because my life is so out of control? So how do I ever say, how are you? And I mean it. And I, I want to say, what's really behind that? What's going on? How really are you, Joe? What's going on? You know? and, but to have a life where I'm sensitive, I use my power of my time as power, and I give some of that power to people. Well, I can go on. How about prayer? I mean, are you available to pray for people, really, that you don't like? like just, you know, praying for people is an incredible servanthood thing to do. It takes a lot of time. Don't get a lot of kudos for it. How many people are surprised by your life? They say, I can't believe that you are involved with those people, that you're serving those people. I can't believe it. You! That's what they said about Jesus. How could you, the Son of Man, be doing such a thing? That our lives are saying, how could you? I mean, who would ever dream? I didn't raise you to do this, that you would use your power for this. No, you know what? Mom, dad, friends, neighbors, CEOs, whatever, professors, I'm using my power. is to serve like Jesus, to give my life as a ransom, to liberate people, to serve people. How about, are you, well, I can go on, can't I? Power under. How about, do you, are you willing to come under people to tell them things they don't want to hear? Risking they may reject you. It's being prophetic to people. Jesus serves us not by doing everything we want. Jerry served me by saying, Pete, you're cooking two times a week. It wasn't a discussion at that point. She grabbed some power in a healthy way to serve me so I would grow up. There is prophetically speaking truth to people. That's power. And some of us, we, we're doormats. That's not biblical servanthood. It's prophetically disrupting systems at time and risking that people may reject you, those who love you. That's scary. Jesus served us by being prophetic. 
And uh, so, you know what? It's saying things like, you know, when you said that, Andrew, that person, you murdered him. You know, that remark was really racist. Do you know I feel judged around you when I'm with you? I just feel judged when I'm with you. Wow. That's serving people. So they might be more like Christ. If you're a leader and you've got a gift of leadership, let me tell you something. Leadership is servanthood. And the minute you say, I don't want to serve because, you know, I don't want to get involved in all these messes. You're right. That's why biblical leadership is servant leadership. You're getting involved with people, and it's a bit messy. That's why it says each one of you should use whatever gift he has received, 1 Peter 4, 10, to serve others. Using your gifts or service because it gets very messy. It's a lot easier to bury it and hide it. I got a great story here, and I can't read it. Anthony sent it to me during the week from his uh, community. And uh, it's the story of, of Mark, who um, uh, was at a trade show, and he was representing his company, and was not able, he was, he was supposed to be making contacts to publicize his company. It wasn't going real well. He's trying every tactic he can. And uh, the second day, he's at a diner, and a woman there, he recognizes her from the trade show, from another booth. And they start talking, and she com basically complains the fact that, you know, she really needs her chai, chai tea, certain type of tea that she drinks every morning, and the hotel doesn't have it, so she's stuck with coffee. And, and, uh, she, but she rushes off to a meeting, and he just, on his own, he goes to another diner, gets her the tea, brings it to her meeting place at, near, near the booth, and gives it to her, just as a, as a gift. He had no idea who she was, and it turns out that she was a big shot. And before he knew it, everyone was coming to his booth. And he says, what I was trying to do for two days, I couldn't do. But by doing that one act of service, God did it. And God says, if you will refresh others, I will refresh you. If you will trust me and serve others with your life instead of being that high chair tyrant or that weakling prince, passive depressive, if you will trust me and walk out this biblical servant, you will find me in it. Just like I multiply the loaves and the fishes, you're going to find that I give you life out of nowhere, but you've got to trust me in it. So let's do this. You know, in ancient societies, many ancient societies, they had, they had these ceremonies for little boys to grow up. I feel like we need to grow up. I don't know. How, only God can do it for us. So they would have in uh, these tribal societies often you know, uh, initiation ceremonies for young boys to grow into being men. As I reflect on that, I said, it's like all of us are fixed in this immature level of development, like the 12 disciples here in this passage, you know, fighting and looking for rank without a solid sense of self. And um, we need a transformation. So who we really are in God can emerge. And I reflected, how does that transformation take place? How are we going to grow up? How can we get, if we can just, you know, how, how do we come out, how do we get out of this? It's really scary when you're 45 years old and that's who you are, you know? It's really scary when you got a PhD and that's who you are, you know? And, you know, how, how do we change? And I, you know, something has to die so Christ can live. So we can come out of, with calm, with compassion, with a clarity of vision, with initiative to serve people with our whole lives. And so, you know, we got a little chart here, you know, and, and I think we, we want to be here, don't we? This is where we want God to take us. So let's do something right now. Uh, we have the Word, right? We have the Word right now. We've got the Holy, we got the Holy Spirit. Um, we've got the, God gives us the Lord's table, which is called sacraments, and he gives us prayer. Something to break. I love this phrase. It's actually a term that comes out of psychology called infantile grandiosity, that I'm the greatest person, I'm the only one in the world, but I'm really like a big infant, demanding, demanding, demanding. And what I'd like us to do is we're going to take communion, and this is Jesus serving us, all right? He, he's he's going to serve us at communion. And we're going to have prayer lines with anointing with oil as we, during communion. So in fact, uh, so we're going to have some elders and some prayer team members are going to go up there to the left. And as you take communion, we're going to invite you to go over and receive the anointing of oil for God's power to be released that you might grow up and mature into a servant, into this. 
that you might get released from this and from this, and somehow God will show you the way to this. Because it's, it's a treacherous path, isn't it? Filled with landmines. But we need God to show us the way. And this is almost like our initiation. So I'm going to ask that, um, let's all stand, okay? William, come, worship team, come on forward. William, show me that passage you read before. Could you give that to me? And if you're a Christian, you're, you're invited to the table. If you're not a Christian, we want you to come and receive Christ. Now, oil is very powerful. The um, anointing of oil is, a, is, is in the Bible as a release of power. And so I want to invite you to come take communion. And if you'd like to come over, and I invite the, some prayer team members and elders, come as well and go to your left over there where it says prayer ministry time. I know there's a lot of us here. I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. And if you'd like to be anointed with oil, then we're going to pray that God's going to grow you up and mature you into a woman, a man of God who is a servant. That you'll have a solid sense of self. That there's certain things that only God can do in prayer that can happen no other way. And that's in the anointing of the Spirit of God. So we're going to invite you to come. And I want to read this thing as we come to the table. Because you know what this table is? Jesus is waiting on us right now. He's going to wait on you and serve you and me. We don't deserve to come to the Lord's table because of our sin, our rebellion, not being servants. But we come in the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. It's a pure gift. We want to encourage you to come. Oh God, and let him serve you. Wash you clean of your sins. Take the bread, his body, the cup, his blood. Washes you clean. You are beyond condemnation. He calls us to himself and invites us to take a permanent place at the table. We take our places next to the other sinners made saints as we share in the glory of God. You are beyond condemnation. You are a member of his kingdom. You have been adopted. You have access to God. You will never be abandoned. You have an incredible inheritance. That's who you are. And the Lord says, come to the table, and I want to refresh you and wash you. I want to wait on you, says Jesus, so my life can fill you and you can wait on other people. It's beautiful, isn't it? So I know you're, some of you are feeling condemnation. Let's pray together right now and say, Lord, wash us of our sin, we ask in the name of Jesus. Because, Father, I know I see myself on that chart of that baby, on that high chair even in my relationship with you. And I sometimes see myself on the other end. Lord is depressed and passive and running that way. But Lord, I thank you that, this, that you treat us by grace, by mercy. And we come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. And it's the only way any of us come to this table today, Lord, is we come through Jesus. Jesus, your perfect life, your righteousness, we come. And I pray, Lord, you'd move in these prayer lines as, as, as oil is released. You'd anoint people with power, God. And you'd do in us what would take maybe 10 years of therapy, God. And you'd grow us into a mature level of development, that we'd have a solid sense of who we are, that we don't have to use our power over people to find our identity, that we can have power under people, Lord, and lift them up, Lord, because you've loved us and we've got a solid sense of who we are in Jesus. So I pray you'd move as we worship, move as we pray, move as we take communion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So the, take communion. Come. We're going to start. There's two tables up there and four down here. And if you'd like, we want to encourage you to come over there and you're going to just, you're going to open your hearts up and let them anoint you with oil and pray for you. All right? So please come.